Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Kindness and Happiness Connection podcast. We're so happy to have you join us on a weekly basis, where our goal is to share tips, insights, and practical guidance to help you grow and prosper. I'd like to welcome you to another Saturday afternoon episode of the Kindness and Happiness Connection podcast. I'm here with my wonderful, amazing uh, co-host, Dr. Elia Gorgoris, the happiness doctor. I'm Randy McNeely, the kindness giver. And we have the amazing opportunity to have author Rachel Beck on our show with us today. She's the author of Finding Your Way When Life Changes Your Plans. She's an international award-winning photographer, owned and ran a photography business in the Midwestern United States for eight years before becoming a full-time writer. Now, looking through the lens of her camera, she developed a unique perspective for dealing with the myriad of boulders that life has thrown her way, and she now weaves her vision of that into words. Rachel was born and orphaned in a remote village in India. She was later adopted and raised by a white Jewish family in America, Rachel is an eternal optimist, and I can vouch for that. She is an eternal optimist. She holds a Bachelor of General Studies with minors in psychology and general, Bachelor of, yeah, Bachelors of General Studies and with minors in psychology and general studies and keeps one goal in her heart, that her stories inspire and help out as many people as she can before she leaves this planet. Welcome to the Kindness and Happiness Connection podcast, Rachel. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. That was so nice of you. We try to, we aim to please. We're, we're just glad to have you here. Elia, I did all the talking to start this off. We need to hear something from our wonderful happiness uh, doctor. What have you had to say for a moment? Well, I'm excited to uh, interview you, Rachel, because um, I, I wrote a book called Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness, the, the first book that I wrote. And in the book, we talk about adversity. And I share that we're all graduates from the University of Adversity, all of us in the, on this earth. And some of us have a bachelor's degree and some of us has a master's. It sounds like from your book, you have a PhD or two uh, overcoming adversity. So I'm very interested to learn, first of all, a little bit about what the adversity was, but more importantly for our audience, you know, how did you overcome that and how you know, did you go forward in life to become an author and just to share your inspiring story, because I think at, at the times that we're living right now, people are stressed out more than at any other time. And my background is as a clinical psychologist. That was my first career for, uh, for 18 years. So that's my background. Depression, anxiety, stress-related symptoms are up an astonishing 700% since the pandemic hit, at least in the United States. So your story, uh, your inspiring story, is something that we want to showcase. So can you share with us maybe a little bit um, the adversity to begin with? And of course, the second half of the interview would like to go into how did you overcome it and what were the steps that you took? That was really interesting to learn too because I'm, I'm deeply passionate about psychology. Randy knows that. Um, so my journey started, my I was born in India, in Southern India. My birth mother died two days after giving birth. I've been trying to track down my biological father. I don't know if he exists or not. 
Um, after a couple of months of being taken care of, I was extremely malnourished, borderline comatose baby. I was brought to the founder of an orphanage, and I actually was taken into her home where I remained until my adoption went through. And my first home in the U.S. was actually in New Jersey, and then I grew up in Philly. I've been very, very blessed. Let me say that. I've been very blessed with the family that adopted me. I've had wonderful opportunities. I've witnessed my family do incredible things, and they've been huge, huge role models in my life. A lot of my adversity began later in life. Um, I would say in the 90s. Um, I got diagnosed with endometriosis, which I battled for 20 years, which was multiple, multiple sur surgeries. And I'm just sharing this through my experience. Everybody's experiences are different. Um, I lost a child. I was pregnant, lost a child in 2006. After doing all the treatments and you know, that they all, you know, and they all failed, they didn't work for me. We miraculously had gotten pregnant, the nat, you know, naturally, and then lost it. Um, so that was 2006. Then 2008, we tried to do adoption. We finally got the call, jumped on the plane, met the baby girl, fell in love with her, and then it all fell apart in 24 hours. And what I came home, and you understand this both as, you know, your fields and because you're, you know, being a psychologist. What happened to me from that experience is I came home, I obviously needed counseling because it was way too much grief. Of um, and the way it was explained to me was that in the 24 hour period of being on that very high of getting the call, you got a baby girl, come, you know, and then it all unfolded was it was too many emotions to experience in 24 hour period. So I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I was diagnosed with anxiety, which I never had in my life ever. So it was a whole new Rachel is learning how to meander through all of it. I'm a huge advocate for mental health and I talk about it. I'm not ashamed I have PTSD. I'm not ashamed that I have anxiety. They're part of everything I've been through. I later on had to go through and have a hysterectomy. And that I've struggled with my identity my whole life. Um, being a woman, being Jewish, being Indian. It's an unusual combination, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's very, I've very. only met, I, I had the wonderful experience, I was in Israel, um, and I got to have dinner with a Jewish Indian family, and it was amazing, it was just amazing. Oh, we, my wife and I just went to Israel last year, it was one of the greatest trips if, uh, that we've ever gone to for two weeks, we loved it, every minute of it, I would go back to Israel again in a heartbeat. Oh, I love Israel, Israel's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's one of my, that's on my bucket list. Uh, I want to go there. Get there. It's there's no words. Yeah. That was part of it. Um, I've faced so so all the identity. Just trying to just like find my way through all this. Being adopted, I had a lot of identity identity issues. Um, growing up in like the '80s, there, there were not the mixed families that there are today. Right? right. I'm still like when I'm with my mom and my dad, it's very difficult. Because people will think I'm, I'm my mom's helper. 
I'm her nurse, I'm her caregiver, which were all wonderful and very important special jobs. And we thank them all, let me say that. When I faced a tremendous amount of racism, anti-Semitism, and I'm still facing that in 2020. I had two not good experiences a couple months ago before this all started. But through all of it, it's a deeply conscious choice for me to get back up. There were moments, I'm gonna be honest with you, like there were moments where I was like, you know, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. I've had three near-death experiences. Wow. Yeah, I've had three of them. That changes your life immediately. I mean, that just, you know, and the fact that it happened three times, one of my friends that told me, she's like, because she was researching me, she was getting her master's in social work. And she said, well, you're done now. And I said, what do you mean? She said, it's a rule of threes. She's like, it can't happen anymore. And she said, you're, you're like here for a reason. You might not know the reason yet, but she's like, I know why. And I'm fascinated by near-death experiences ever since I was young, even before I went to graduate school. I've read so many books about uh, NDEs. I'm just fascinated by it, and I believe in it. And the, the stories that people share, regardless of their faith or ethnicity or nationality or background, there you know there are a lot of similarities, basically, that, that people have. So um, I don't know if that's appropriate for you to share one of them or sure. what, yeah. what you felt or what you heard or, or what the message was. Because clearly the message was you're not done here on this earth yet because you're still here. Uh, I'll share. Yeah, I'll share one of them. I was in Mexico. Um, I, I, you know, our family, one part of my family has a home down there. And we're on um, vacation. It was a couple years back. And we had, you know, the house, women playing. It was like a most perfect day ever. Um, and I had gone down the house, it sits on a cliff. And below that um, Pacific Ocean, extremely, extremely rough. And we had just went down to look. I had no intention of swimming at all whatsoever. The, the, it's just the current was horrible and I'm a strong swimmer. I slipped and I fell it, off the rocks. And my mom and my cousin were watching this all unfold. I was sunk down to the bottom of the ocean. The current was extremely, extremely strong. I kept, I would get, you know, it was like a geyser, like a circle. And I got pulled down and it was between huge boulders. So every time I went up and down, I was getting cut, bleeding, the whole thing. I'd come up, grab air, go down again. And when I was at the bottom, there was like a cave and I was holding on to the rocks to not, you know, let go. And so my legs were swinging. And it's like my hands, were, it was just blood. It wasn't a good situation. I would go up again. The second, by the time I was down, like the, it was the second time, I was done. I was physically exhausted. I was depleted and I was like, I, I, I can't do this. And I love the ocean and I figured if I'm gonna die in the ocean, then I'll be okay. Like there was a sense of calm, there was a sense of peace. Then somehow, some way, something told me to kick one more time in that cave while I was, and said, just kick one more time. And what it, I did, and what had happened is my aunt's friend who had lived down the street was, was like, where are the girls, you know? And he like ran down and he's like a big, tall, strong. And I reached up the third time. He grabbed me with, by one hand and he saved my life. Wow. And, yeah. And I was ready to let go. 
I, I, I was, I was very, it was a very calm, peaceful moment and I was okay with it. I felt like, all right, this is going to be painful because I'm going to be beat up and killed by rocks and blood and it's going to be horrible. You know, my father passed away. He drowned in the ocean. That's when he died, unfortunately, when he was 65 years old in a freak accident. Uh, you know, just a freak accident. And, but he also loved the water. And in some ways, I'm comforted, even though it was shocking to, to us, obviously, um, that he died in the place that he loved the most. And I, I'm the same thing. I used to be a competitive swimmer. I love the water. I'm from Greece, obviously. Grew up in Southern California on the water. So it's not a bad way to go except that it was premature, you know, it's pretty much, it's one thing to, you know, if that happens when you're like 80 or 90, the water is the best place to go. But if you're young, like you are, or even like my dad was, it, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing. So. I'm so sorry about your dad. Yeah. You know what? It's it. Yeah. I've had to come to terms with it. And I know that I'm going to see him again one day because I believe in that. Mm. And, but I never got a chance to say goodbye to him. You know, that's, it's, tra it's tragic. And the weird thing is, how weird it is, my wife's dad also drowned. Like, well, both of our dads died by drowning. It's the, it's the strangest coincidence in some bizarre fashion that, I mean, it's, I don't know what, it's so strange that they both died the same way, prematurely. So weird. Yeah, the, and we're, that, we're glad that we don't have to know that Rachel Beck died prematurely. We're glad no, that she did here. And that you're here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful, you know, I'm very, especially because it happened three times in different situations. Yeah. Was there a message you received though during those three, any one of those three times where you felt like somebody, you know, besides the kick, obviously you got that message, you need to kick one last time, but is there some spiritual message that you received like your time is not yet and then you need to stay here on this earth? Or have you had anything like that or no? I've had where I think the way the events lined up before, that was the reason why I survived. Does that make sense? I can, I can explain this. So one of the other ones, um, it was 2000, and you guys will understand this because I'm living in the Midwest. <laughs> like, and it was one of those, like, you know, ice the night before, you have to scrape off your car. It's a whole thing, right? Yeah. I had gone out, and this is 2008, um, to I was, my parents happened to be in town visiting. I was going to meet them for breakfast. So my driveway in Missouri had, like, a little bit of a slant. And I had gone down and started scraping and everything. Turn the car on, which we do, to get it warmed up. And there was ice on, like, the side. My neighbor had, like, a little hill. I had fallen. And I broke my leg, my ankle. I could hear them both break, you know, on the way down. And my head was behind the car tire. And it was February, freezing. Nobody was on my street. And that street was packed. Something, I throw my purse in the car, right? But something had told me to put my phone in my back pocket. And I did. And I was able to call 911 and get saved. So there's little things like that. And the EMT told me, and they got the, I would have died from the shock, from the two broken bones. I had emergency surgery that night, and they had to reconstruct it. So something told me to put my phone in my pocket that day. I mean, I don't, you would have been unable to call for help. No, there's, there's no way I could have. And the pain was so severe. I mean, I had, and I've been through so many surgeries in my life. But that, and then like hearing that, you know, everything break as you're falling, it was, yeah. Wow. 
you've really been through the university of adversity as Elia calls it. What have you done to graduate from that university in the sense that, not, and I don't mean that you're not going to have more adversity because we all do, we all do. But I mean that in the sense that how have you been able to maintain or to regain and obtain and maintain a positive, the glass is half full attitude and, and, and keep going like you have? I, I dug deep. I made conscious choices. So when um, people are racist towards me, I choose to rise above and realize it's about them, not about me. Um, I've been kicked out of stores, told I can't shop there, kicked out of public places for the Congress. Wow. So, and this still goes on. And I, when I do public talks, I talk about this and I address this because it, it's still going on in America. Randy, it comes down to making those choices. The day after my miscarriage, um, I was laying in bed. We happened to have family at the house at that time. Yeah, I remember reading about this. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, and I didn't even get home till like three or four in the morning. I was exhausted. Um, and I woke up and I said, I don't want to get up. You know, I just, I, I could not fathom that I just miscarried the night before. And then I said, okay, you have two choices. You're either going to get up or you're going to be under the sheets. And you know what? Grief happens in many different states. We all face it in many different avenues. I made that conscious. And I could still see myself like swinging my leg over the bed and going, okay, get up. When I came home from the adoption, I needed help, right? So I saw a psychologist and she had given me tools. It was another choice, right? So what I did is I chose to like, you have to imagine coming home to like a nursery that you designed and made and you had the baby shower. So I started turning it for good. I donated everything to the YWCA, you know, for the women's shelter, for, you know, women who need it. So I tried to turn the tragedy into like either through charity, through giving back to causes that I'm very passionate about. And that's what like lights the way for me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah, so this is what's so inspirational about what you said, Rachel. And, and the couple of two big points for our audience is this. Number one, we always have a choice. We have a choice in our attitude. We have a choice in how we respond. So Rachel made, those choices to get up and to continue moving on. The second thing is that she took action. And I think that's even more powerful because having a good attitude is the first step. But the second step is what will you do now with this attitude? And you chose to donate the beautiful nursery that you had created, that you had envisioned your child would be growing up in and gave it to causes that you were passionate about. And then you blessed other people's lives. So I think that's, that's the crux of it right here for me. I mean, the whole interview is right here, what you just said. This is golden nuggets. I, I had a choice, regardless of how difficult it was. I kept moving on. I took action, and I blessed other people's lives. That's the trifecta right there. And that's the, this can be applied to anything, whether it's business or life. This, the, the three steps that uh, Rachel just spoke and shared with us is applicable to any situation. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. It was not an easy thing to do, <laughs> um, you know, but I felt very like, and even to the point, and I was on the board of directors for the YWCA for two years. So I had, and that happened like after this event, but um, I remember like drive, you know, dropping off to the women's shelter and this, you know, this woman came out to like, you know, open, 
my car trunk and my all the furniture went to like friends of ours who were having a baby. I needed it like to know where that was going. And she said, this is brand new clothes. Like, why are you donating brand new clothes? And I was like, I can't, even, you know, <laughs> I can't have this discuss it right now. But um, it made my heart. I had to know that it was going to be taken care of. And I just knew that it would be. So now I go, I give talks. I've been giving talks for like 15 years on all these topics. Um, and if I reach one person, you know, and I know the conversations I have when I'm with people, when I go into churches, synagogues, universities, then that's, that's why I'm here. Right. Yeah. What I'm doing for the orphanage, like my connection to the orphanage in India and you have those little moments. I had a woman who healed my heart in India, and it was powerful. She changed my life. Was that the story of the older lady that you found that just smiled at you? Oh, she. Oh, I, I have to. I'll text you a photo of her. You guys see her. Okay. <laughs> no, I had another uh, friend of mine um, in my trip in 2013. We were walking from the orphanage down to the school, which is like a distance. And you see the video of the orphanage, so you kind of have an idea. Yeah. Um, she had said to me, it was my first time I was there, and she said, Rach, you know, you're married. And I said, yeah. And she said, do you have children? And I said, no. And I, like, explained, you know, biologically, I can't do it. Um, and she stopped, and she turned, and she's like this six-foot, like, woman, standing in this, like, marmalade orange sari, like, just stunning. And there's a mountain behind her. The sun was, like, right there. And she said, Rachel, what are you talking about? So what do you mean? She said, what do you mean you don't have children? And she said, you have all the children at the orphanage. She's like, those are your children. And she's like, you're going to go home. You're going to go back to America. But you're going to carry them in your heart, and we're going to carry you in our heart. And it was so, she goes, so how lucky are you? You have 200 children right now. And it was so, it was amazing. And so now every day, Randy knows, like, I get up, that is my cause, that is what I'm doing, it's for those children. And how has that helped to heal your heart? I had never thought about the children in the orphanage touching me on that level, on that soulful level, as close as I am with them. But when she said, wait, whoa, 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 how lucky are you that you have all them? And so when I went back again and the relationships I've de developed with the children and the stories and the stuff we do together, and it was healing because I, it was an epiphany moment going, how lucky am I? I was going to share, uh, after the uh, Haiti earthquake about 10 years ago, another psychologist and I flew down to Port-au-Prince and we brought supplies to an orphanage, about 60 kids, who actually were orphans before the, the catastrophic earthquake. And I mean, we were in hell. Like the, I can't even describe what it was like. You know, death everywhere. It smelled like death. I mean, but those children literally stole my heart. And, you know, after we provide the supplies, you know, they wanted to, they were like holding by, you know, I was holding one in one hand, another one in another hand. Two of them were like wrapped themselves around my legs. And this happened all day long. They just wanted to be held. But their smiles and their, their beautiful spirits, I felt, I said, man, if I could bring all 60 of them back to America, if I, I wish I had a big home and I, I wanted to I bring all of them, you know, home. And they really changed my life. Like the way that I saw, because they were so pure, so loving. Uh, so full of life and so full of happiness and they had nothing. I'm, I'm talking about nothing, nothing other than shelter 
and some, you know, food barely. And th there's something special about little kids because it, it, it's, it's, it's their spirits. I mean, honestly, really, I will never forget those smiles. I, when you say you brought them home with you, kind of like mentally and, and spiritually and so on, I can totally relate to that. It's been 10 years and I've never forgotten those kids. It's amazing how when you go and give service, like you did, you went to the orphanage in India, Elia described what he did in Haiti. That service, that kindness that you're giving builds a bridge to your heart and you cannot help but feel love for the people that you're serving. You can't help it. And there's something powerfully healing about that. You know, Rachel, you were talking about the service, you, 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 and whether you thought about it this way or not, you were talking about the service you gave after losing your child, after, you know, having a miscarriage. You took the things that were in that nursery, which I know was extremely hard for you, but it, having the nursery there was extremely hard for you because it was a reminder of what had happened. So you needed to get them out of the house. You needed to take care of those things. At the same time, you were starting the healing process because you were thinking about, you were thinking outside yourself. You were looking for ways that you could bless and lift and heal others. And it's an amazing thing how when we've had our own pain and sorrow, how looking outside ourselves and finding a way to serve is actually a balm for our own soul. I had one day, I was so depressed. I, 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 I don't even want to begin to compare it to what you were dealing with, Rachel. But I'll just make it, I'll say this. I was so depressed, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to lay there in the dark and curl up under the sheets and stay there. And a friend of mine came to my apartment and just said, you're not staying here anymore. You're coming with me. Get up and get dressed now. He didn't ask me if I wanted to get up and get dressed. He just told me, just get up and get dressed now. And so I did. And I ended up going to a big brother, big sister meeting with him. And here we go again. We're talking about kids. Those kids wormed their way into my heart. I, I couldn't help it. They, were, they, they needed help. They needed somebody to spend time with them. They needed somebody to give love to them. And when I gave that service, that saved my life. Getting out of myself and finding somebody else to serve, some way to make me for realize that you know the things i was going through i wasn't the only one having challenges there are other people having challenges well, and i was going to tell you both to randy and, and rachel this from my experience as a psychologist for all those years and working with thousands of people i i think in, my, myself included that we all have a point in our lives where we just want to pull the covers over our head and not get out of bed for me it happened right after i lost my mom when i was young you know to cancer and I just literally did not want to live anymore. Not, I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to exist without the love that my mom had for me. So I remember, like, I don't want to get out of bed, like, I, like literally. But that's, that's a very common experience. Most people in this life have at least once in their lifetime felt so down, so depressed, so empty, so uh, without hope that they, you know, they just want to, they want to give up. But there's something inside of us, most of us, that says, I need to move on. I have a choice. Everything that Rachel, you know, you said before, I have a choice. I need to move on. I need to take action and then to follow up with that. That's the formula to success. It's not that we shouldn't be depressed or we shouldn't feel anxiety or stress. It's more about what do we do with that when we're faced with that adversity. So strong support group, right? I mean, Randy, you had your friend. I, I've been blessed with like amazing family and friends who helped me. And how did having that support from family and friends help you to have an attitude of gratitude? I was raised with that from a very young age, like etiquette, manners, 
giving back to the world were instilled with me from like three years old. I remember like just doing it. And it was taught to me in the Jewish private school I went to. When I was in India, I was, um, I go around and I take photos to different areas. You know, I go with yeah, somebody. Yeah. I, I can't explain the full reason why I was there. I can tell you after an hour recording. But I went to visit a leper colony. And for those who don't know, leprosy is still going on in the world. Um, and I was at the leper colony and I was taking photos um, of different people. And the director was walking me around the colony. And I met this woman and she was like on the ground and she had the most beautiful smile I've ever seen in my entire life, ever. Um, she's wearing like a sari and she was older. You know, she was an older woman. And um, so I was down taking these photos where, you know, cause she was blind. She was, you know, she was touching my face and I was holding her hand. And, and I looked at the director and I was like sitting Indian style. You know, when I take a photo, I'm on, you know, I do it this way, right? Try to get down on their level. Eye level, right? That's why I try to teach people. So I said to the woman, and I just looked at, I said, how could this, how, how is she happy? Like, I'm, I'm not understanding, you know? And she said, Rachel, she is deaf, is blind, and has leprosy. And wow. she's happy because she was homeless when we took her in, and she's grateful to be living at the colony. And I just, I froze and went, wow, wow, okay, this woman it has all this going on for her, blind, deaf, and leprosy, and she's happy every single day and grateful. And the next time I go by, and I have like a big photo of her when I, you know, I speak, I have her, you know, photo on like a PowerPoint, and I talk about that so the audience understands you can be blind, deaf, and leprosy and still be grateful but it was right there in the middle of the leper colony that I went wow. that's it yeah and I've I've toured burn wounds I mean I, I've I I've toured some really difficult things and seen a lot of things in my life but I did that with my photography to show what's going on through the world. So when I did art shows and things, I would exhibit all over the U.S. I would share photos like that, you know, with the story. Any takeaways, tips, final uh, thoughts that you would like to share with our audience? Every day you get up, write down one thing you're grateful for. I, ha I happen to have many things that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that I'm still standing. And I think, you know, dying a couple times, just you have a different outlook on life, right? Um, and if you can't find it, then create what you're grateful for. There is something in your life that you can be grateful for. And if you, you know, writing it down, if you're talking about it, and really, Randy, it comes down to my life will never, ever be about me. It's going to be what can I do to change the world. And you know that from reading my post, my favorite quote in the world is, yeah. be the change you wish to see in the world. I live that mantra. So find it within yourself. You know, right now I hear a lot of, I, I'm, it's, it's been very surprising to me through everything going on with COVID right now. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing an increase of entitlement 
I'm seeing an increase of selfish behavior. Really? I talk about love and kindness all the time. That I only surround myself with kind, positive people. But I've also seen an increase of that. Uh, that's, and I don't, I'm not understanding that. Because right now in this moment of history, you're going to be remembered as one way or another way. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I keep telling my network that be very conscious of what you're doing right now. How do you want to go down in history? So I make the choices, you know, make the right choices right now. Like if you're not working on yourself, if you're not, you know, reading the books, picking up a new skill right now, a new language, you have all these opportunities right now to do this. So like once in a while, I'll see somebody say I'm bored. Like, and I can't even, Randy knows I can't comprehend that because of my schedule. There's so much to do. I know there's yeah. so much to do. There's yeah. so much to do. There's so much to do. So take, take, learn a new language now. Go on YouTube. Learn a new cooking show. You know, a new skill. I mean, you have all these opportunities. Um, tons. Tons. Yeah, and tons. Tons of opportunities. Well, Rachel, Rachel. we can't thank you enough for your wisdom, your your passion for improving humanity and the sphere of influence that you have and how you spread love and kindness to, uh, to those that are most in need and uh, really for your incredible story. So thank you for being part of our show and uh, you've taught us a lot and we're, uh, I think the way that Randy and I try to live our lives anyway is in total alignment with what you're doing. So thank you for being a, a fellow sister. Thank you. Thank you. I was just gonna say thank you so much for you know for having me. And I'm so I'm so excited I got to meet you today. And Randy and I like the minute someone someone had said to me, I, it was like a couple months because we've been friends for a while now. Yeah. So like, and they said you got to meet Randy. Like you have to meet Randy. <laughs> like, I think it was meet- April Durant maybe or or okay, or Lila Lila Smith or so I don't know I don't remember who I don't remember like, who it was. Yeah, someone's like, you got to know Randy right now. You guys are, and then I was like, wait a minute. Like, oh my gosh, he's in Iowa. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) we're going to do a video together, get together, do a video together. So no, thank you so much for having me today. I'm deeply honored and appreciative. Thank you. Thank you so much. We we so appreciate you being on with us. And that's going to be a wrap for this week's episode of the Kindness and Happiness Connection podcast. We look forward to uh, another episode next week where we're going to have Another amazing kindness giver on with us, Wendy Gilhula. We look forward to having a chance to talk with her. So stay tuned for that. And just want to wish our audience a very wonderful rest of your day and a wonderful weekend. If you have suggestions for discussion topics, please visit anchor.fm slash kindness hyphen happiness and follow the instructions in our show description. Remember, kindness is a choice. And happiness is a choice always. So choose to be kind and choose to be happy today and good things will follow. Have a wonderful rest of your day.